Welcome to the Wicked Good Momcast, a podcast for Boston moms by Boston moms, a space to hear stories from real moms, to celebrate the beauty of motherhood and to normalize its challenges. Motherhood is hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You are a Wicked Good Mom. And now here are your Wicked Good Momcast hosts, Shannon and Megan. Hi, listeners. We have a very special bonus episode for you today. It's been 10 years since the Boston Marathon bombing, an event that impacted so many lives forever, an event that caused the country to rally around Boston, an event that strengthened and united Bostonians like never before. We became Boston Strong. Today, we are taking a minute to reflect back to that day in 2013, but also to tell a redemption story 10 years in the making. Thank you for joining us for this very special bonus episode. Our guest today is one of our very own senior contributing writers for Boston Moms. On April 15th, 2013, at 2.49 p.m., she was volunteering one block from the Boston Marathon finish line, bagging food for hungry, exhausted runners. Fast forward 10 years later, and our very own Kristen Douthit will be running the 2023 Boston Marathon on April 17th. Proud is an understatement. I am so thankful to Kristen for making time to share her story with us today between training and work and momming her three kids. Kristen, (laughs) welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Shannon. It's really an honor to be here today, and I'm so excited to get to share a little bit more about Boston Moms, the marathon, and running this year. Yes, I'm really excited too. Let's start by talking about the morning of the 2013 marathon. I know you had a brand new baby at the time, and I believe this was your first time leaving him for any extended period of time. What did your morning look like that day? Yeah, it was definitely the first time I had left him for any significant amount of time. I think I might have left for an hour or two to run to the grocery store, Uh, but this was going to be the first time that I had left him for longer than a pumping session. So more than, um, so I, he was three months old at the time. Um, and I left the house around seven 30 in the morning. My husband took me to the train, said goodbye to my son. The Boston marathon is a wonderful, amazing event and volunteering is a full day commitment. You know, it's not quite the same as running the marathon, but it's, it's really a lot of fun. And I've done it for five years. So I was so excited uh, to be able to do it because there's just There's nothing like the energy of being on the course, on the finish line in particular, and getting to see runners crossing. Super excited. Um, You know, a little nervous about leaving my son for what would probably be an eight or nine hour day. But I had packed my breast pump. I was ready to go. And my husband is a great, very hands-on dad. So he was prepped and ready to go. Um, Got to the finish line around eight checked in, you know, you do your orientation. My husband and I exchanged a few texts. My son was peeing all over the place as babies do. And, uh, you know, it was comical moments, but I was there and I was really excited. So we took some pictures at the finish line right as the wheelchairs got started. Um, And then our team of students that I was there with, uh, and I started bagging food for the finish line. We were in charge of bagging 30,000 bags. Oh my gosh. Wow bananas and rolls and chips and that kind of thing. Um, and so that was the start of our morning. Um, at some point, or I think around 1030, I took a break to go pump mm-hmm. because mom of little babies, you know, That's <laughs> the right. Hour window is kind of, it's kind of important. So that in itself was a comical moment, you know, trying to find a place to pump in the middle of finish line runners, <laughs> 
zero privacy. So I think I ended up behind a trash can somewhere in a hotel, like covering myself with my jacket, trying to pump. Totally embarrassing, you know, um, (laughs) but made for a great story. And I kind of. Yeah, mom's got to do what mom's got to do. Later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The things I do for you. So, so, you know, that was kind of the morning that went on until about noon, um, around noon. The fastest runners start crossing. That's about the two, two and a half hour mark. It was a chilly morning. Uh, Runners were fast that day. Um, I think a lot of them were really happy with their times. Um, The year before had been really hot. And so it was nice that it was in the 50s and a little bit cooler. Um, So at that point, things got super busy in the shoot at the finish line uh, as all the runners come through. Because it starts slow, but then it really starts picking up about an hour later as kind of the bulk of the pack comes through and then are the charity runners toward the end. Um, you have kind of a solid four or five hours where there's just runners constantly. So at some point in the one or two range, I started noticing that it was time to pump again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's literally no place to go. And when you're in the finish line, you know, they have the barricades up to keep the observers out of the finish line area and to kind of funnel the runners along because once you cross the finish line as a runner, you want to stop. <laughs> right. You just want to be done. You've done yeah. 26.2 and you just want to sit down. So they put the chute there in order to kind of funnel people out and keep that from becoming the congregating spot. So trying to find a spot to pump, mm-hmm. there's nowhere to go. Yeah. So, you know, I think I tried to hide behind a truck and pump for a little bit, but I made eye contact with one of my 18 year old male students and was <laughs> like, this is just, not going to be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I bailed on that idea. Um, and then briefly thought about maybe like there's enough volunteers. Maybe I'll just head out a little bit early. I was supposed to leave at three. Um, but, you know, decided I'm just going to, I'm going to stick it out and I will <laughs> push through your breasts start to become like really, Rocks. really comfortable yeah. after a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I decided I was going to um, push through and make it till three. Okay, so as the marathon goes into the afternoon, the unthinkable happens. Can you walk us through the events as you remember experiencing them? Yeah. Um, So as I said, I was kind of right about the point when I was getting ready to head out. So I was very aware of the time. Um, uh, And I, I remember at 2.47, I think the official was 2.49, um, you just heard this loud boom, and um, it wasn't just that you heard it, you felt it in your body. You could see the smoke um, in the distance, um, and it just, it stopped you in your tracks almost. And I, that's, I think that was one of the clearest memories for me in the moment um, was, you know, at this point, we're, we're in the heart of the marathon um, the insidious part of when this was planned was that it wasn't planned when the elites were crossing the line. It was planned when the common, not qualified runners or the tail end of the qualified runners were going to be crossing the line, where a lot of people were going to be um, crossing the line. So the runners are five to 10 deep. And even just within our very small section of it, you've got hundreds or thousands of runners. But when the explosion happened, uh, the first one, and then about 30 seconds later, you heard the second one. All I remember is it just got quiet, mm. like went from loud, everybody talking, everybody moving to everybody stood still. And it was quiet. Mm. 
And then a moment of panic <laughs> as people started running and hollering. Um, and then, you know, somebody official said, everybody calm down, slow down. Um, it's just there was there was a ton of confusion. People didn't know what was going on. We heard a lot of different. I don't know. I you know the transformer blew a couple months ago. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the green line exploding underneath us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I don't know. Nobody knew. And so um, I called my husband really quickly and was like, something's going on. I'm fine. I don't know what's going on, but you need to turn on the TV and find out what's going on. This all happened within like maybe five minutes. It was super fast. But I remember there was that moment of calm and let's return to normal. Everybody slow down. So I continued passing out food bags. Um, And then at some point, somebody, I think it was somebody in an official capacity. I don't honestly remember at this point, somebody said, you got to move now. You've got to get out of this space. And the entire field of people in that area started running. Um, these are runners who've run 26.2 miles. They're exhausted, but we all just picked up and started running. Some people were running toward the explosion. Some people were running away from the explosions and it was just, it was chaos. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew what was going on, but we were all scared. Um, and in the chaos, I lost my phone out of my pocket and you couldn't really get out because the barricades were up. And so you either hopped the barricade or you went until the barricade ended, or you tried to pull it apart so that you could climb out. And, uh, um, you know, I think I hopped it with a grandmother. <laughs> who was okay. yeah. kid. Um, it was total chaos. And uh, the Boston marathon draws a lot of people who are there from out of town. And so, you know, nobody knew where they were. <laughs> right. Everybody, where's the train station? Where's the hotel? Where do I meet my people? What's going on? And nobody knew anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at some point, like I remember about 15 of us who had exited and, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Boston Marathon jacket from that year, but the 2013 one was neon yellow. Yeah. You were very easy to find in a crowd. So, you know, when you're wearing official credentials, everybody asks you, what's going on? Where do I go? But at some point, like 15 of us were clustered in front of a shop that had a TV on in the window. Um just trying to figure out what's going on. But the news didn't know anything. All the news was showing was one kind of stale fixed image of what had happened. And, um, you know, we were all waiting for somebody to tell us what had happened, but nobody knew at that point in time. And, you know, so all of us are kind of moving out and the uh, police and SWAT team and helicopters and everything is heading the opposite direction. You know, there's a, uh, it was, it was, chaos and crazy. Um, and because we didn't know what was going on, not only were they running toward the marathon finish line, trying to figure what was going on, but we didn't know, was this an isolated incident or, you know, was something else going to happen? So I lived in East Boston at that point in time, I needed to take the T across the water to get home, which would mean normally I would take the green line to the blue line, but I didn't want to get on the train because Mm -hmm. we didn't know. Um, and there were police cars and SWAT trucks at every entrance to every T station, um, so I walked a mile and a half, two miles to get to Aquarium, which was the stop on the blue line that I need to take to get under the water to East Boston, um, and which was far enough away that there were no police <laughs> at that right. um, And the gates were open. Some of the T stations actually closed down. Park Street closed down. Um, and the ones closer to Boylston and Park Street both were closed. 
Um, so I got on the train at that point. Um, and there were, it wasn't crowded. There weren't many people on the train. There were a couple of people who saw my official credentials mm-hmm. and like, Oh my gosh, the marathon was amazing. I just crossed the finish line. This is awesome. What were you doing? And, you know, they're happy and excited. They clearly haven't heard anything or yeah. they didn't know. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I'm like, I, I can't be the one to tell you yeah. that something terrible has happened here. Um, so you, you're trying to smile and nod while you're sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was crazy. So I took the train one stop to get from um, Aquarium to Maverick, hopped off the train there and then walked another mile and a half uh, to get to my house because I, I didn't want to be on the train and I didn't know what was going on. Um, and got home and, um, you know, at that point, I just lost, (laughs) saw my husband, saw my son and I'm sobbing. I couldn't control it. Um, you know, it's all the emotions come rushing out. And somewhere in the midst of that is I need to pump right now. Right. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What time did you get home? Uh, 4.30, I think. Oh my gosh, Kristen. (laughs) Yep. Wow. So, you know, you're in pain, but yeah. emotionally you're, you're just a wreck. Well, and your adrenaline probably carried you a lot of that way. All the way home. And then it just all comes flooding out. And then, you know, mixed in with all of those are emotions are the, um, oh my gosh, like something terrible happened mm-hmm. and I didn't run toward it. I didn't run to help. <laughs> like, oh. I ran away. And so there's that sense of both terror and fear and this immense, you know, emotional letdown of I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I made it. I'm with my people, um, to guilt and shame and fear of, you know, how it'll be perceived or what other people will think and what happened to the people who weren't okay. Um, Lots of survivor's guilt is very real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at what point did you learn what had really happened? Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. I think it was that first day. I think it was a couple hours later that we, um, knew that it had been bombs. I think by the time I got home, they were releasing some initial information about how many people had been hurt, um, and that an explosive device had gone off. I remember by later that evening, they were looking for, uh, the kids with the backpacks and they had some video footage that they were releasing on TV, but I, I don't have a clear memory of um, knowing exactly what had happened. Right. Okay. Oh, so the following days, what were those days like for you as you're processing the news as it comes in and processing what you saw firsthand? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> Uh, it was a lot of emotions, a lot of, uh, a lot of the same ones I just mentioned. There was survivor's guilt, there was shame, there was, um, it, a little bit of PTSD, honestly. Right. Um, you know, it, it was hugely traumatic, um, yeah, to this day, like, and I'm in a large crowd, I have to know where the exit is because, um, it was scary. Um, uh, I think, there was a lot of feeling like I needed to be able to wrap it up neatly and talk about how strong Boston was and how amazing uh, we are, which we are. And I can say confidently at this point, but there was a sense of I needed to be able to wrap it up neatly for other people. Um, 
and that experience wasn't one that was neatly wrapped up for me for quite a while. Um, so lots of emotions. And then, you know, we had the whole Boston was on lockdown for yeah. a full day as they were looking for the younger brother. And um, so there was just a lot going on in the days following, as well as just immense relief um, and gratitude, you know, mm-hmm. um, the sense of I get to be my son's mom and I get to see him be older than three months. Um, uh, as well as just a ton of grief for people who wouldn't have that experience um, or whose lives had been altered in much more, much more intense and deep ways than mine. Right. Right. And I mean, that's such a good point that we do carry so many emotions at the same time, maybe around one experience. Um, So, you know, it's completely okay and normal to feel grateful and then also feel grief in the same moment. Absolutely. Our emotions are complex and to try and package them up neatly and say, I'm feeling this and only this is insincere, especially when it's something big. And I think this experience among other experiences, and we can talk about why I'm running the marathon at some point, but um, there's no such thing as a simple emotion when you're dealing with a complex situation. And there's no timeline for when you have to process those emotions. I think for the marathon, it was helpful for me to realize I don't have to be okay in two days. It's okay for me to take some time and to unpack these emotions and process them. And it's going to take some time. Yeah. Very well said. Um, How long did it take you to be able to be involved with the marathon again after that experience? Uh, That's a great question. Um, And I, I'm going to say it was a couple years, honestly. Um, I had volunteered every year at the marathon for the previous five years. Um, it was just a big part of my year. Uh, the following year I was pregnant again with my middle son. And so that gave me a nice excuse to not volunteer, but, uh, it took me five or six years before I signed up to volunteer again. Yeah. Um, and I think even things like crossing the finish line, um, there was a moment a couple years down the road when we were randomly in Copley square right around the marathon time. Um, and I, I couldn't physically cross the finish line um, because all of the emotions just yeah. came flooding back. Um, it's interesting in those moments, you don't always expect to be triggered by certain things. You don't always know your triggers sometimes until they hit you in the face. So that's 100%. very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it also, it, it, and the weird thing with that was that the the finish line for me was an emotional trigger of a traumatic event, but it was also this, this is, an amazingly beautiful, cool place where Boston came together and was strong and resilient. And the marathon epitomizes that spirit in Boston. And so it was, again, we talk about kind of both and holding complex emotions. The marathon finish line symbolized both of those for me of this, you know, traumatic event, but also I love this city and this epitomizes things that I love about this city. Absolutely. And I want to ask you, you've spoken a little bit about the strength of Boston afterward, um, which made national news. Everyone, you know, knows Boston strong at this point. But what did you witness in the city afterward? And what did you witness in Bostonians as everyone was kind of coming to grips with what had happened? Yeah, um, I, Boston is a gritty, tough city. Like we love our own and we will fight for our city and our people. Um, and I saw that spirit in, in Boston and the, um, 
days and weeks that followed. Um, you know, I think this story has been shared many, many times, but you know, the picture of the marathon is these marathon runners who have run 26.2 miles and they are exhausted and the bombing happened. And, and some of them, I think hundreds of them actually kept running and ran from the finish line to mass general to give blood because they knew that there was going to be a need and they knew that there were people who were hurt. And that was their heart was, we are going to give literally our last drop. Right. Um, and, and that's a lot of the spirit of Boston is, you know, we got this, we're going to do this. We are all in, um, and we're going to rise together. So I saw a lot of strength and a lot of determination, a lot of grief, um, and a lot of this shouldn't have happened. This is not okay. Um, legitimate grief. And I, I'm proud of Boston for her grief as well as for her resilience. I think both are important, but a lot of strong in both ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I obviously couldn't help when I was, um, get preparing for this interview. Of course, I kept hearing David Ortiz in my head and I won't quote him, but (laughs) I think everyone knows the quote at this point. Um, and that was, you know, obviously a big rally cry for the city as well. And now you are just weeks away from running the 2023 Boston Marathon. Um, You mentioned your why. What is the why behind running this year? Yeah. So I have always loved running. I have always wanted to do the Boston Marathon. It's been a bucket list item forever. One of my best friends decided she was going to do it this year. And so I decided, you know, if she can do it, I'm going to do it too (laughs) Um, and signed up. Uh, I'm I'm charity running for Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, um, and that really is my why. Um, I mentioned, you know, earlier that major traumatic events tend to reshape your perspective and and help you understand emotions that are complex in a better way. Uh, five years ago, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, he had a primary 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 mediastinal B cell lymphoma. Um, he had a tumor the size of a dollar bill in his chest, Mm. which went undetected until he had a persistent tickle cough that wouldn't go away. Um, And we were treated at Dana-Farber. And the compassionate care that he received at Dana-Farber, honestly, the type of cancer that he had 10, 15 years ago would have required radiation. But thanks to innovation and development and research, he didn't need radiation because medication had advanced to uh, the place where he didn't need radiation, so we didn't have to deal with any of the side effects of that. And um, after our treatment at Dana-Farber, I just am perpetually grateful for their care, for their research, uh, and I do everything I can to support Dana-Farber whenever I can. So I've run a number of different races on behalf of Dana-Farber, but this is the big one. Um, and I've just crossed the $10,000 mark uh, fundraising for Dana-Farber. I'm very proud of that and very excited um, and just beyond honored and thrilled that I get to do this, that I get to run the marathon, but that I get to do it for Dana-Farber as well. That's incredible. So it's actually multiple full circle, full circle moments happening. 100%. Yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a tearful mess the entire time. I'm I'm going to be lucky if I have water left for sweat because (laughs) it's not going to come out of my eyeballs. (laughs) Well, on that note, what kind of, um, Gosh, like thoughts and emotions are you experiencing as you're preparing for this race? We talked about it being complex, right? There's a million and one different emotions. Um, When I signed up to do it, I actually had not registered that it was the 10th anniversary of the bombing. Um, And so when I realized that, it was one of those, oh my gosh, (laughs) oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Um, 
I feel a lot of pride um, and honor. Um, there's there's a, a sense of gravitas that what I do here matters. Mm. Um, you know, every dollar that I raise goes directly to the Claudia Adams Bar Fund, which directly funds research at Dana-Farber. And we've had a number of family members and friends who have been diagnosed with cancers that do not have a treatment or cure recently. And so there's that moment of, what if this amount of money that I raise swings the tide and and actually has a tangible impact in cancer research. So there's that sense of, wow, this matters. Um, there's pain when your hip muscles and your knees are uh, just like, what are you doing? You're almost 40. You should not be doing this. Um, you know, it's and then there's just the sense of like, oh my gosh, I get to do this. I'm going to run Boston in two weeks. And this is crazy. All kinds of emotions. And yeah. I, when I cross the finish line, I will, I guarantee you, I will be sobbing when I cross the finish line. Oh, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> all yes. the feels. Yes. Um, well, and I wanted to ask you too, can you talk about trying to train and go to your job and raise your three kids? How are you doing it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so I am... I love to run. I am not a fast runner. So I am a nine to 10 minute mile runner. So when you talk about running 26.2 miles and doing your long runs, you're talking three, three and a half hours on a Saturday. Um, so on one hand, it makes for great alone time. Yeah. <laughs> um, my husband has been wonderfully supportive in giving me weekends to to do long runs. But on the other hand, it's really challenging to figure out where am I going to fit in enough training runs that I can do this successfully. Um, so I've had to boil back my expectations. I think I started this hoping to finish in four hours. Um, and realistically, that's probably not going to happen. I'm probably looking more at 420, 425 mm -hmm. to finish. Um, so I do a long run on the weekends and I try to squeeze in as many training runs as I can during the week, but it, it is a battle for time. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Well, obviously, we are rooting for you, Kristen, and we are uh, so thankful for all of the runners in this year's marathon, all of the volunteers, all of the organizers. Um, it's just going to be a really special year. And uh, again, just love this incredible full circle moment for you and your family. And I'm so grateful that you shared it with us today. I think everyone in Massachusetts likely has an I know exactly where I was when the marathon bombing happened story. Um, I didn't live in this state yet, and I know exactly where I was when I heard about it. I know exactly where I was uh, sitting on my mom's couch watching TV when the you know final brother was caught in the boat, like followed all of it. So my hope is that as we reflect on the last 10 years, we can hold space to grieve what was lost, to remember the resiliency of this amazing city, and to celebrate the redemption of how far we have come. Kristen, at the end of every show, we ask every guest what they are loving about raising a family in Boston. And after this interview, I'm especially interested to hear your answer. <laughs> and I knew that you were going to ask me that question, but I still don't know how to answer it in less than 10 minutes because there are so many things oh, that I, I know. love about Boston. But I, I think, honestly, I, one of the things that I love the most about Boston is that it is, it is a very runnable city. You can see so much of it and be in the middle of it in not that much distance. Yeah. Um, so my kids get to live in the middle of history. They get mm -hmm. to make history and they get to be surrounded by some of the most amazing, most resilient, most 
just cool um, people. So those are some of the things I love. And I love, um, we are friends on social media. And when you post, you know, your gorgeous pictures from your run on the Esplanade or just different places in the city, um, I always love your pictures. I'm not a runner, but I will live vicariously <laughs> through your pictures. It's never too late, Shannon. You can oh always jump in. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for tuning in. This wraps up season two for the Wicked Good Momcast, and season three is in the works as we speak. More coming soon, but until then, you truly are a Wicked Good Mom.